All right, good morning. Can you tell it's week three? Everyone's late. It's like three-fourths the crowd. That's how I feel this morning, too. I was just telling them I turned my alarm off probably three times, and I thought, okay, eventually I'm going to need to get up, or it's just going to be a bunch of people looking at each other up here. Maybe you guys have to start reading or something. So I'm tired. I told Lisa it's kind of like Wednesday night of VBS. I don't know why, because really it's only a four-week study, but tired today, and everyone else must be too, so it must be those summertime, I don't know, something. So let's pray this morning. Uh, hopefully the coffee is setting in, and Lindsay just fixed those pumps. If you didn't get any, it's back. So good morning, Father. Thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for each woman that you brought in in this early morning. We thank you for um, your consistent, wonderful love for us. No matter what, no matter what this week has looked like, we thank you so much for that. Um, we even thank you, Lord, for this week, for the break in the hot, crazy heat. Um, thank you for this beautiful weather we've had this week, and we love you, and um, just thank you for this time. We can come together and open your word to start our mornings off right um, with you and in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I should have, I was going to send an email out and kind of give you guys a warning, but... We'll see who's awake enough to share a little bit. Um, last week, Lindsay challenged us quite a bit with um, several things, really. A lot about knowledge that I was convicted by. Um, and on the Friday part, where we did the Make It Personal, um, and I'm struggling finding my page. I know it wasn't that far back. Let's see. Okay, there it is. Page 22 in your little notebooks. Um, she talked about the moth, um, I mean, that Hosea talked about the moth, and asked if you could identify any moths in your life, um, where are your points of weaknesses, what's filling your days, and that you would ask the Lord to reveal these moths to you and to make his word vital in your life. And then we were supposed to read and kind of meditate over Psalm 1. Um, on the spot, so... Does anyone have any little nugget that you'd want to share from your time last week after our, after our learning time? It could either be from Friday or it could be a little nugget from class, just whatever God has been teaching you, just to share. We're going to have a lot of sharing today, so I hope you guys are ready to talk. Yes, that, that is actually what we're talking a ton about today. So it's the slow, slow burn that doesn't look like piercing terrible sin at first. Um, but that it just slowly eats away just exactly like the moth. So, perfect. Thank you, Dana. Anybody else, real quick? I was personally, um, she talked about in the very first three verses of chapter 6, how it looked like they were wanting repentance, but it wasn't truly from the heart. Um, I wrote this down. They wanted healing, but not cleansing. They wanted happiness, but not holiness. They wanted change in their circumstances, but not a change in their character. Their tears were over suffering, but not over their sin. And I went home and just, I journaled about that a little bit in my own heart because um, healing's not bad. Happiness isn't bad. Changing in circumstances isn't bad. Um, tears over suffering isn't wrong. But where is your heart motive? You know, are you, are you, it's kind of like when your kids get in trouble because they, you caught them. You know, are you crying because you're getting spanking? Or are you crying because that was wrong? What you did was wrong and your sin is wrong. And I just had to examine that in my own heart. You know, what is my true motive for wanting change in my life? Is it just for healing, happiness, and um, better circumstances, or is it truly, um, you know, tears and remorse over my sin and cleansing? So I was convicted by that. So it's been good. I hope that you guys have um, not just enjoyed it, but learned a lot from so far from this book. I definitely have. Um, today, we are going to focus, I know we were in chapters 6 through 10 this last week, um, today in class, we're going to be focusing mostly on chapter 6 through 8, and we're going to do it a little bit differently. So have your notebooks out. Um, 
we will be starting kind of going over what we went through on Monday, day two in chapters six, four through seven, sixteen, and then we'll hop over in a little bit to part of the group discussion. We'll kind of do it back and forth a little bit in class, um, so we can talk talk through it, and I'll explain that later. But so you can open it up if you want to to page maybe twenty four in your little notebooks, and I'm just going to read chapters. 6, starting in verse 4 through 7, 16 for us in Hosea. It's where we left off last week. And we just learned, hopefully, the right pronunciation of Ephraim. I've been saying Ephraim, but who really knows? It's fine. <laughs> verse 4. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud, like the dew which goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam they have transgressed the covenant. There they have dealt treacherously with me. Gilead is a city of wrongdoers tracked with bloody footprints. And as raiders wait for a man, so a band of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they have committed crime in the house of Israel. I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's harlotry is there. Israel has defiled itself. Also, O Judah, there is a harvest appointed for you when I restore the fortunes of my people. When I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is uncovered and the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief enters in, bandits raid outside, and they do not consider their own hearts that I re may remember all their wickedness. Now their deeds are all around them. They are before my face. With their wickedness, they make the king glad and the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, like an oven heated by bakers who cease to stir up the fire from the kneading of the dough until it's leavened. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hands with the scoffers. For their hearts are like an oven as they approach their plotting. Their anger smolders all night. In the morning it burns like a flaming fire. All of them are hot like an oven, and they consume their rulers. All their kings have fallen, none of them calls on me. Ephraim mixes himself with nations. Ephraim has become a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, yet he does not know it. Gray hairs also are sprinkled on him, yet he does not know it. Though the pride of Israel testifies against him, yet they have not returned to the Lord their God, nor have they sought him for all this. So Ephraim's become like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. When they go, I will spread my net over them. I will bring them down like the birds of the sky. I will chastise them in accordance to the proclamation to their assembly. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me, and they do not cry to me from their heart. When they wail on their beds for the sake of grain and new wine, they assemble themselves. They turn away from me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devised evil against me. They turn, but not upward. They are like a deceitful bow. Their princes will fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This will be their derision in the land of Egypt. Sorry, that was kind of a long one, but we haven't read that since Monday, and I wanted to go over it again. Um, on page 24 for your homework on Monday, we went through, let's see, five different... Um, little similes that um, was talked about here in relation to the people of Israel and how they were acting. Um, here Hosea is revealing the true character of the people of Israel. And I love that I was able to study out a lot of these silly, it's seemingly silly little um, comparisons with these guys. And I thought, you know, you guys might not have had the time to study it all out. And so I wanted to go over it a little bit with you. Um, First of all, let's see, did I give anybody, I, I, did, I did a lot of sticky notes today, so if I didn't give it to you, I'm just going to read it, but did I give anybody six for six? Did I give that to you, Dana? Oh, okay, I'm reading six for six then, great. Okay, so six, six again, I know Lindsay went over this last week too. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings, and we talked a lot about this last week. Um, the knowledge of God is what God desires from us, back then the people of Israel were just kind of putting on shows. 
they were sacrificing things and not really, like Jeannie was talking about, knowing God intimately. Um, they were not loyal because as we're going to talk about here with all these different comparisons, um, you couldn't count on them. Um, but they were just on the outside giving sacrifices and from the outside looking in, you might have thought, oh, well, maybe, maybe they've got it together. But God knows our hearts, right? He knows if we are intimate with him. It's like I have talked to so many people and have even been guilty of it myself where from the outside you might look and be like, oh, perfect marriage. Everything looks so great. I wish I could be like them. And then you get to really having coffee with that friend and you're like, man, we are struggling. We are struggling. Well, no one knows that except for the husband and wife, right? No one knows how their intimacy in their marriage is struggling or whatever. But from the outside, it looks like they've got it all together. So only the Lord truly knows your heart and how where your intimacy level is with, um, with him. And definitely their hearts were far from the Lord. Um, and Hosea was calling them out on their stuff. So, okay, Matthew 9.13. very similar sounding verse in Matthew um, that was in Hosea. God wants true, um, he wants a true relationship with us, not a fake one. So here we're going to be talking about in the next couple um, chapters of how Hosea is calling them out, the people of Israel. I love what Wearsby said here. God doesn't want our relationship with him to be one of shallow, transient feelings and empty words and rituals. Hearts that are enthusiastic one day and frigid the next. A superficial ritual can never take place of a sincere love and obedience. I love that last part. A superficial ritual can never take place of a sincere love and obedience. Like the Sunday Christians or the holiday Christians, right, who um, show up at church and, you know, even go a step farther. Maybe you are actually in God's word on a daily basis, but... Um, it's a ritual. It's something that you're putting a check mark by. It's not something that you're letting um, take place in sincere intimacy and knowledge and love and obedience to God. So he wants our relationship with him to be deep. Um, Micah 6, 6 through 8. It's a little bit longer passage, but it goes along right with this. Who do I give that to? self-explanatory that one, isn't it? That's what he wants of us. So today, this morning, I'm just going to focus on two different things. Our hearts and our idols in these passages that we read this past week. So we're going to start with our hearts and the conditions of our heart. We'll go through some of these things that um, Hosea was comparing the Israelites to. And the first one is in chapter 6, verse 4 through 11, really, but we're going to focus on verse 4. Did I give that to anybody? Hosea 6, verse 4. Thank you. Okay, so when I read this verse, I thought of about every end of October, early November, right around Halloween, usually here in Iowa. My kids wake up. It happens every year like they don't remember from the year before. <gasps> it snowed, it snowed! And you wake up and it's beautiful on the grass. You know, all the blades look like crystally snow and it's so pretty and you're like, oh, sorry, it's not snow. It's just frozen dew, but you can enjoy it for a couple minutes. And usually by the time they are walking out the door for school, it's gone and you're back to seeing the grass and you never even knew it was there. And so that's what they're talking about here. Your loyalty is like a morning cloud, like the dew which goes away early. So it looks like you're sparkly and clean and maybe a fresh fallen snow and from the outside that you've got your things together for the Lord, but man, it's gone in an instant. And that is how Israel's love for God was. 
Um, it wasn't lasting. It was temporary. It faded very, very quickly. As soon as something hit, or it, in the dew's case, as soon as the sun hits, it melted away. Um, in Israel's case, I don't know, or in our case, whatever. As soon as a trial hits, as soon as the struggle hits, as soon as your kids are super annoying by 8.30 hits, um, and you lose your temper, whatever it is, your, it, it wasn't lasting. Um, and I thought of, I thought of even the honeymoon in marriage time. Okay, so it's just so wonderful and so new and so fresh and so fun. And then about six months in, you're like, man, this is the rest of my life. Okay. And you've got to make that decision right there. Are we going to continue to stay in honeymoon stage and do things to keep our relationship fresh and clean and new and deeper and get to know each other? better or are we going to be just let that honeymoon stage fade away sorry for all the marriage analogies today but um it's a decision that you have to make and the children of israel had just thrown that away but it's a decision that we have to make every day in our relationship with god too that we keep it vital and we keep it close and we don't let it fade away um like the dew that fades away from the sun so that was the first the first one Okay, who wants to shout out? What was the second uh, picture that Hosea talked about the children of Israel? Number two. Yes, thank you. Okay, did I give anybody um, seven, one through seven? We already read it, really. And it was in verse um, hmm, four? Yes, okay. Seven four. Pass these pass these around each way as as I read this. Little piece of paper. Thank you. Um, so I was confused a little bit and had to look into this um, oven, but it says in verse four, they are all adulterers, like an oven heated by the baker, who ceases to stir up the fire from kneading of the dough until it is leavened. And then it goes down and says, verse six, their hearts are like an oven as they approach their plotting. Their anger smolders all night. In the morning it burns like a flaming fire. All of them are hot like an oven. So I looked into this oven. So back then they would heat these ovens late at night so, so hot with fire that the bakers wouldn't even have to stir it in the middle of the night. And the next morning they'd wake up early in the morning to go to their bake shop to bake and it would still be smoldering and hot and continue that hot for the whole day. So these these people were so, um, you, people say you're on fire for God, okay? That's an analogy that we are uh, saying that I know I use or is used a lot around here. Um, she's on fire for God. Well, what does that mean? She's excited. She's wanting to tell people about Jesus. She's in the word. She's got a lifestyle that reflects Jesus. So this is basically the opposite, okay? They were an oven that was out partying it up all night. Um, they ha they'd have these palace celebrations where people would get drunk. In fact, sometimes um, that's when the kings would be killed and overthrown because they were so out of it, partying up all night, um, that that's when the enemies would know that they could come in and, and overthrow these kings. And we talked about the first week, I think, how many kings they went through um, for a while. Um, and this could have been a time that they were all killed off. I'm not sure it doesn't say specifically. But... In the morning, they, things were still, um, it was not good. It was obviously, if you've been up partying all night, it was not going to be good the next morning. So this was a negative analogy. Their passion for sin was like a fire in an oven. So it just burned and burned and kept burning and was still hot even the next day. So I just thought of it as the opposite of our, she's on fire for God. Well, these people were on fire for sin. They had a big passion for sin. And I gave you a little sheet. This is not, um, I, I totally committed a copyright um, fine here, so do not reproduce this. Throw it away after we read it together. All the things, don't tell anybody, but I'll give credit to whom credit is due. Um, this is a Bible study by Jennifer Rothschild. Um, she's got a lot of good little nuggets in here. Um, and what she said about this just really um, spoke to me, and I wanted to read it to you guys, and I think it's easier for you to read along than... Um, me reading a bunch of stuff to you. So here's what she says about 
those hot ovens. Even though we are believers, filled with God's Holy Spirit, our passions can spark and threaten to burn like an overheated oven. We can still dabble in the works of the flesh. Paul lists some of the works of the flesh as sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, adultery, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, or anything similar. Wow, sounds like tiny sparks that became flaming infernos. Paul goes on to say that if we continuously persist in that lifestyle, we will never inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is saying that if you are always like a roaring fire, consistent, constantly feeding that fire with works of the flesh without remorse, I underline that, you can see that without remorse, chances are you are not filled with God's spirit. You do not have the life of Jesus living in you. On the other hand, if some of those things Paul listed spark up in your life every now and then, you are probably occupied by God's spirit, just not walking in his spirit. So the takeaway is this. When it comes to those works of the flesh, determine if you are trying to squelch or put out the fire with the water of God's word, or if you are feeding those fires so you burn with more passion. If you only feed those fires, Gomer Girl, throughout the book she calls the readers Gomer Girl, you should be concerned about whether you have really been born again. That's between you and Jesus. But if you've never come to Christ, I'm inviting you to now. Call one of your Bible study buddies. Okay, move down. We don't have to be sexually out of control to be like that flaming oven, though we can be like that oven when our emotions and drive get out of control. When are you most like an overheated oven? Do you ever get so angry that you devour people like a fire out of control? Lord, we want our hearts to burn with love for you all night. We want our faith in you and our worship to smolder. So in the morning, when the oven's still hot, our need and desire for you and your will blazes like a flaming fire within us. I just, I read this a couple times in my own life because to me it was both convicting and encouraging. Convicting because I looked at that and I thought, whoa. At first when I read and studied this, I thought, well, I'm good. I'm not all night parting it up and, you know, struggling the next morning and having all these issues come in like this terrible heated fire. But, kind of like the moth that Dana was talking about, there's little fires that are coming up in my life every single day. That I've seen, if I don't squelch and put out, immediately they do get bigger. And I don't know if anybody is surprised here by the personality that I have, but man, anger is an issue for me. Like, I can let that go in my life if I don't squelch it immediately because it can get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and I could go through many other sin issues that are issues with me as well, but I have got to squelch it all. So it's convicting to me to say, Sarah, as soon as that little fire, as soon as that sin pops up and you failed, confess it, forsake it, get accountability, whatever it takes, move on now before the fire gets bigger and bigger or the moths get more dis destroy and destroy um, before it becomes an inflaming, inflaming inferno. Um, but I love that part in the middle where she said, Paul's saying that if you are always like a roaring fire, constantly feeding that fire works of the flesh without remorse, without remorse. And I'm sorry that I'm using my little brothers as an example again, but... Um, when both Daniel and John were not walking with the Lord, you could see a huge difference in both of them. In, they're both in the same sin, both walking the same lifestyle of disobedience against God. One could have cared less every time. The other one was upset, sad, sorrowful over sin, and had remorse. And you could tell, I, I mean, none of us were surprised when one needed to turn back his life and completely recommit it to him, and one said, I've never known Jesus as my Savior. I've never even had an original relationship with him. So when you're examining your own heart and the little fires that pop up, are you remorseful over your sin? That's good. That's positive. Praise God for his Holy Spirit that's working and cleansing in our lives. Um, the way they're talking, a lot of these uh, people of Israel, it doesn't sound like they had 
a lot of that. Maybe they didn't have a true relationship with Jesus because they were letting it burn and burn and burn and not squelching those fires every day. So I was encouraged, honestly, reading this and um, looking at this passage and saying, thank you, Lord, that you are convicting me to squelch these fires as they come and not let it go into this crazy oven. And instead, I can say, I want to be on fire for you, but in a positive way, not like these Israelites were. So hopefully that makes a little bit more sense, and that was helpful. Um, okay, what was the next comparison? Uh, chapter 7, verse 8. Did I give that to anybody? Okay. So, Tally, what was the comparison that Hosea made to the Israelites? Yeah. So the half-baked, half what, what's it called? Half-baked cakes, right? Yep. So half-baked cakes. So one side is baked and burnt, and the other side is undone. So it's inconsistent, right? Um, they were mixing with the nations. They were marrying and mixing when they were not supposed to be doing that. Um, they were burned by Assyria, basically, on one side and uncooked on the other. Okay, here's Wearsby again. You know, Lindsay and I have used this commentary a ton. He's been great. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we must be thorough and not half-baked. His gracious work must permeate our whole being so that our heart, mind, and strength are all devoted to him. Compromise with the world leads to unbalanced conduct and immature character. Compromise with the world leads to unbalanced conduct and immature character. Who has Leviticus 20:26? 20, it is again. I think we went over this verse another time. You are to be holy for I am holy. So if you are half-baked, if you are half-living for God, but then you've got one toe in things of this world, you are not being holy as I am holy. And that's what the, that's what Hosea was calling these guys out. They were in halfway, but then they were mixing with the other nations that they were not supposed to, the other half. So we can, our character has to be fully baked. We can't be the cookie dough in the middle that is soft and not consistent with what you see on the outside. Um, God, at, uh, is it in Luke? Somebody might know this passage where he talks about the lukewarm. I should have written it down, but um, when God talks about lukewarm Christians, he says that he wants to spew them out of his mouth. People that are just Okay, thanks, Jeannie. You got it? Okay. Revelation. Okay. Where he talks about he just, lukewarm Christians are, um, he wants to spit them out of his mouth. He hates them. Those that are claiming the name of Jesus on the outside and then on the inside, they are not. Um, the take it or leave it kind of faith. Um, even following Jesus when it's convenient for you. You got it, Pam? Thank you. exactly what Hosea was calling um, the Israelites out on, just being half-baked or um, following Jesus maybe when it's convenient for you, um, when it works out well for you, instead of um, being consistent. So, okay, what else was he comparing it to? The next one, um, 7 verses 9 and 10.
Okay, so what's the next analogy? You don't have to actually give the analogy, but what is the, the thing that he called them? Or, can you just say it? The gray hair. You got it, right? Yes. Yes. Back to the moth again, right? Um, I am desperately in need um, of dyeing my hair right now, actually, which is why it's been in a ponytail every single day this week. But um, I thought I was even covering that up the other day because I can, I can get away with it in the ponytail for a while by week five, um, usually. If you part it down, then you can see a nice big strip right here. So yes, I am like 50% gray. It's okay. Um, proud of it, dark hair over here. But um, we were on Rag Brian Tuesday and we we're on bikes. So it's not like Heath was even that close to me. He's like, I can see your gray sparkling through that ponytail. I'm like, thank you. Thanks, honey. Um, but for me, about every four to five weeks, the gray sneaks on um, slowly but surely. And I can see it a little bit and get away with it for a while. And then pretty soon, I've got to take care of it. This passage is talking about a gray-haired man who's not even realizing that he's getting older and losing his strength. Because like the moths, it's been a slow process. And then eventually, um, the strength is gone. Um, he's getting older and weaker with pride. Um, refusing to admit it, um, undetecting losses in this older man that are quietly leading to failure, is what they're talking about here with this gray-haired man. Um, I even thought of Samson. Um, did I give anybody Judges 1620? Okay, Echo, thank you. Okay, so this story, if you've not read the story of Samson, um, his hair was cut and he had lost his strength. Um, he didn't realize it. Here he awoke and he was going to go and go out with all of his strength, but the Lord had departed from him and he didn't even realize it. Okay, it was a, he had no idea. So this gray-haired man is talking about the Israelites. Here they thought in their pride um, that they were still strong and, um, the gray hair, the moths, had been creeping in. So they had not taken care of all of their little fires, basically. Um, okay, one more in this. I feel like I'm taking a long time on this, sorry. Okay, the faulty bow is the next one. Did I give anybody 7, 13 through 16? Oh I shouldn't make on that. Okay, I'm going to read it really quick. It's just the very end of chapter 7. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me, and they do not cry to me from their heart. When they wail on their beds for the sake of new, new grain and wine, they assemble themselves, they turn away from me. Although I trained them and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They turn, but not upward. They're like a deceitful bow. Their princes will fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue, and this will be their derision in the land of Egypt." Okay, so here, um, they have all of the things that they need. Kind of like week one, when we talked about how God has given us everything that we need um, for life and godliness. They had been trained, they had been strengthened, and yet when they were going to shoot their arrow, their bow, it was deceitful or crooked, or um, Psalm seventy-eight fifty-seven. I think I gave that to somebody. Okay, so there it is again. A treacherous, deceitful, or bent bow they are being compared to. So it looks like they've got um, something that they can fight their enemies with, but it's, it's bent. So you're not going to be able to hit the target with the bent bow. And that's what these people were doing. Um, they were not dependable. So I'm hoping that if I'm fighting with someone, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine this. I don't even hunt. But if I'm fighting with someone, that their bow or their weapon is going to be good and ready to go and not faulty, right? God could not depend on his people to be faithful. Even though he had trained them, um, even though he had given them everything that they needed, they rebelled and they strayed from him enough that he couldn't trust them. So the question to myself as I studied with this is, am I trustworthy? Like when the Lord looks at my life, does he say, yeah, I know that she is going to stand up for me when trial hits. 
I know that she is going to stand up for me when temptation hits or whatever the situation is or is my bow faulty when I have all that I need for life and godliness and God's word and in my Savior because I have a relationship with him um, what is my bow like because there have been many times that I know in my life it's bent it's off and when I shoot it it's not hitting that target um, and I need to be back in, in the Word and back in accountability and back in devotion to Him. Um, tomorrow, when you go for your Make It Personal time, there are several questions, and I want you to come back to these um, analogies that we talked about with the Israelites and be thinking of that as you ask yourself these personal questions. How lasting is your devotion to the Lord? How deep is it? How strong is it? How serious is it? How dependable is it? So it's it's going back to what we've just talked about here. How lasting is it? Is it like the morning dew that fades? How deep is it? Is it like the inferno oven? Um, or can you say that you're on fire for God in a good way and not the way that he was comparing the Israelites? How strong is it? Are you like the gray-haired man? Um, and then how dependable is it with the deceitful bow or you, is your relationship bent? So tomorrow... Take some time in your um, making it personal time and just think through some of these analogies and what your life um, looks like in your relationship with God. Because back to verse 6, verse 6, God delights in loyalty rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of him more than the outside stuff, more than the burnt offerings. Okay, we're going to move on to chapter 8. Um, and you can open in your book to where it says group 3 discussion, page 30. And did I give anyone Hosea 8, 3, and 4? I might not have. I'm going to read them. Chapter 8, verse 3. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have appointed princes, but I have not known it. With their silver and gold, they have made idols for themselves, that they may be cut off. So in the second half today, we're going to be talking about our idols the idols that we have in our lives. Here, they decided they were going to be... I mean, we talked about idols a lot in those last few chapters, but here they've made the idols for themselves. That's basically um, what they're doing all the time, and I, I think about that, and it just seems so stupid to me. Here they had all these... Um, they had the Lord and all this stuff, and they're like burning gold and um, making calves for themselves, and it seems so dumb. And then you look at your own life and realize how many idols that we have, right? So I thought about myself. Um, what motivates me? What gets me a high or an identity? What makes me go? What makes me tick? So don't we take just like 30 seconds, and you can open to one of the parts that says my notes or wherever, write it down, and think about that for yourself for a second. What motivates you? or gives you a high, or where do you find your identity, what makes you go or tick, write a couple things down, and then I might ask you to shout some of them out, just so you know. It's easier to write them down, though, and then shout them out. And we keep repeating the questions so you don't forget. What motivates you, what gives you your high, your identity, what makes you go, what makes you tick. These do not necessarily have to be bad things. Probably the things you're writing down are good. Okay. I'll give you 10 more seconds. What motivates you, your high, your identity? What makes you go or tick? Okay. Shout them out. You don't have to explain it. Just sh shout them out quickly. Kids. Yes. Sense of accomplishment. That's good. Oh. That is so short-lasting, though, Jeannie. Can you pick a better one? <sighs> oh. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Especially when you got five kids at home. 
Okay, what else? What makes you go tick? Where's your identity? People. Yes. Yep. Shopping? Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yes. else lots and lots of stuff most of that none of that stuff that I heard is wrong none of it is wrong but when I look at myself and what makes me go and a lot of that is um, similar stuff um, what people think of me somebody said something similar to that um, my family or children or even uh, how my children act that's another another thing um, this is what you have to ask yourself next. Are these things along with God or are they instead of God? Let's think back to um, our two subjects, Hosea and Gomer, for a minute. We haven't talked about her for a little while. Gomer has her needs completely met in her husband, Hosea. She has been married. Um, he has taken her in. He has cared for her. He has loved her. And yet she needed to go outside of her, or she thought, she needed to go outside of her marriage to find more. She was not satisfied in her marriage with Hosea. Um, she was identified with her husband. She had his last name, but yet she had to go outside to find um, satisfaction or self. She had to find her identity outside of him. So thinking of that, when you think of the things that you wrote down that make you tick, that make you go, are you finding your identity in all of that? Or are you finding it in Christ, in your marriage with Jesus? And those things, they're all good. They can be on the side. They can be along with Jesus as long as he is our hub, as long as we're inside of his marriage covenant. Um, so we're going to be talking about idols here a little bit. And this man, Jennifer Rothschild, she hit it on, um, on the nail here. She was talking about a, an edict. I'm probably saying that wrong too. I think it would be edict because it's someone who is addicted to herself, her wants, and her wisdom, and her way. So it's basically an idol um, that you have an addiction to. Okay, so an edict. She talks about this a little bit in her Bible study. She says, an addiction, following your whims, trusting your wisdom, elevating your wants, and getting your way. When we go to food or shopping to satisfy our esteem needs, when we find our sense of self in our career, appearance, or the impression we make on others, or there it is, the kids' behavior, our homes, or our successes make us feel like somebody, it's because we haven't identified fully with our identity in God. And therefore, we act out of our addiction rather than our identity in Jesus. And just, just made me think, just for a second, Jen, when you said shopping, the last couple days on social media, there's been this funny meme that's been going around, and it says, therapist, ask the, you know, um, so what do you do when you feel sad? And then it says me, add to cart, therapist, no. <laughs> Sorry, that was just, side note, side note. <laughs> I've been seeing that float around on Facebook, so funny. But it, it's kind of true, right? We all have our things, whether it's Target or add to car online or look at your kids and think that they are amazing and beautiful or your home needs to be just right or you need to run two marathons a year and you have an addiction to exercise or your body needs to be a certain size or your looks need to be a certain way. Whatever it is that's taking the place um, of God, if it is taking the place of God in our life, it is an idol in our lives. Gomer did the same thing. She tried to identify herself in all these other lovers, and she was never identified in her marriage with her husband. Um, a chosen, loved woman that she would have been through Hosea, but wanted to go outside and find these um, lesser loves, these lesser loves. But we do the same thing that she did, right, in our relationship with Jesus, because it is so good, and it is so rich, and yet we want to seek satisfaction in approval of others, or whatever it is for you. We do the same thing. Um, Hosea 1, 
or sorry, Hosea 8, 1 through 8. Um, okay, yes, I'm going to read this really quick. Put the trumpet to your lips. Like an eagle, the enemy comes against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. They cry out to me, my God, we know of, we of Israel know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They've appointed princes, but I don't know it. With their silver and gold, they have made idols for themselves. There's the idols, that they may be cut off. He has rejected your calf, O Samaria, saying, my anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For from Israel is even this. A craftsman made it, so it is not God. Surely the calf of Samaria will be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heeds. It yields no grain. Should it yield, strangers should swallow it up. So it's talking here about how it's for nothing. They're putting all of this effort into these idols, and it's just like the wind that's going to fly away. Um, Hosea 13, 4. Did I give that to anybody? don't want to leave anybody out if I asked you to read. You got it, Jen? Awesome. Okay. And Lindsay will be dealing with these passages um, next week. But it's talking about how, I mean, I am the Lord your God. You know no God except me. Come to me. Seek me fully. Turn away from all these idols. When we have, um, this is Weir's Vegan, when we have an elevated desire or a need for anything besides Jesus to give ourselves a sense of completeness, then they are symptoms of our true idol, which is ourself. If we think that we need a lot of those things that you shouted out, we absolutely need them, we can't get by without them, or anything besides Jesus, we are realizing that we are, um, we're relying on ourselves. And it seems so silly that they made all these calves to go and worship. But when we look at ourselves, we are the exact same way. We are calf makers too. And so together, we're going to look through um, some of this discussion stuff and see how we are calf makers just like the people of Israel. Exodus 32, 1. Do they have that? I'm going to read it. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, let us make a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has been co become of him. Okay, so the first step in being someone who is addicted to their idols, which all of us can do and all of us have, is corrupt thinking. Back here in Exodus, Moses had only been gone for 40 days. He was their leader. He went up. Um, and what happened to the people when he was up there for 40 days? They're like, well, I don't know if he's coming back. So let's go and make ourselves a new God. They um, started with corrupt thinking, okay? We can all, I've, I have to combat this in my life every single day because I think as women, it's even harder than men, honestly, because their brains go a million miles an hour and think about scenarios that are untrue. Um, when you start with corrupt thinking, um, let's see. I have this down here in our notes, too. Are you seeking in someone or something, anything else, that you already possess in God? Is your thinking corrupt and thinking, man, um, our leader, like the Israelites, Moses has been gone for 40 days. I demand another God. I mean, you're not actually thinking that. But if you are thinking that you're seeking in someone or something else that you already possess in God, then your thinking is corrupt, okay? And we need to realize that all we need is in God. The very first week, I told you guys a little bit about myself personally um, this past spring and how I had struggled um, thinking that some friendship relationships were maybe going away, and I had struggled because my husband's job was changing and we weren't sure how things were going to flesh out financially and I had struggled because we took on this foster kiddo that we love but we thought he was going to be gone July 1st and now it's probably not looking that way and just a lot of things that um, I thought were going to go on and didn't and I had to come to realize that wow these were actually becoming um, idols in my life 
these were things that I was seeking that I thought was more important than God. My husband's super stable job that he's had for 15 years since we've been married. Um, I didn't think that money was an idol in my life, but stability was. And I had to get on my face before God and realize, wow, that's been an idol because I don't feel stable right now and I'm losing it. So I am seeing, I'm, the thinking is corrupting my mind and I have got to realize that no matter what, if I have you, then that's enough. These are becoming idols in my life. I talked about friendships, how some of them were changing. Okay, whoa, I can't handle that? Then these very good, wonderful friends, were they idols in my life? Yeah, I think so. But I had to realize that my thinking was corrupt. So we talked about that a little bit. So um, you can do this on your own. You can turn to a neighbor. But down there on the bottom of page 30, it says corrupt thinking. Are you seeking in someone or something else anything that you already possess in God? If so, that is the beginnings of your calf making, just like the Israelites. And that, like the little fires that we need to put out, um, these are things that you need to put out in your own life. So I'm going to kind of go back and forth with the music a little bit, and we're going to go through questions one through three. Write them down. You can turn to your neighbor and talk a little bit about them. We might, I might have you shout them out if you're brave enough. You don't have to, though, so don't feel pressure to do that. I'm going to stop you for a minute. You can go back to, in just a second. Two people want to shout out a way that they struggle with corrupt thinking and seeking in someone else something they already possess in God. Shout it out. Comfort. Good one. Thanks, Lisa. Reject. Protection. Yes, I thought you said rejection for me. I'm like, wait, hold on. <gasps> protection. Yes, very good, very good. Okay, all, um, all good things, right? But when we let our thinking be corrupted and they become something um, that we already possess in God and we're not trusting in, then it's wrong. Okay, flip your page over. Um, Exodus 32.8 says, They have quickly turned aside from the ways which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Um, idolatry doesn't always require a denial of God. It's just a reduction of God. It makes him smaller and not as big as he should be in our lives. Jennifer Rothschild said that. I typed that right there in your book. Um, do you ever find yourself running to God as a crisis manager? What's funny about these Israelites is they were going to um, bail for their grains and their um, weather. They prayed for rain and sun and all that stuff. Um, but then when it was the big stuff, they still believed in Yahweh, God. And when they had a big crisis, they would go to him. But for all the other little things, um, they were worshiping Baal and calling on Baal for the rain and the food and all the stuff. And I was studying this this week and had to stop and pray because here I had shared with you about how the springtime and even early in the summer had been a struggle for me. And I'm telling you girls, I am so thankful now to say I was on my face, literally prostrate on my face before God because dealing with my heart and the issues that were going on. But you know what? The last month, six, seven weeks have been pretty good. They've been good. I haven't had any big crises. Things are looking better. Relationships are being repaired. We're getting some stuff worked out. The business is kind of on a roll. So what have I found already in my forgetful self? I haven't been as prostrate on my face in front of God. Because why? Well, you know, I'm not in crisis mode right now. And I, every day, should be crisis mode for us because we should see ourselves as not being able to go through a day without our Savior, right? Whether or not it's an easier day for us where we just need to rely on Him for just the grain and the wine and the wind and the rain and all that stuff or not, man, we need to see Him as our sole provider. And I was convicted right then and there because I can see myself as... Um, one who's a crisis manager runner to my Savior. And not that I'm not still in his word, not that I'm not still praying, but I know my heart. 
I know my heart. I know I'm not on my face before God thanking him for what he's done in my life the last few months or just relying on him for, you know, raising my kids and disciplining correctly and, and being kind to my husband and just the little stuff, seeing him as that God. So that's your next thing. Um, they, the Israelites were turning aside from God's ways, but not completely, just a little bit. So it didn't seem too drastic in some of these areas because they were still praying to Yahweh. So look at your own life. Do you run to God as your crisis manager, but trust yourself for the daily provisions? Okay, I'm interrupting your chatter again. If you said yes to this, even a little bit, then you are implying that God is not quite enough, even for the little things. So it's convicting to me. Um, we're running out of time, so I won't ask for examples on that, but that's just between you and the Lord and maybe a friend. Um, and get some accountability on that, really, I, to go to him for even the little stuff. Okay, and the very last thing that um, we're going to talk about tonight is that these, or this morning, goodness, it's not tonight. I have a whole day in front of us. Ah, it feels like tonight it's dark in here. We need to open that window. Um, is that they were sacrificing to and for the idols. Uh, their, their gold was costly. To make these golden calves, they had to sacrifice all of the, their jewelry, all their stuff. I mean, they had to come together and gather all their things, give it away. They no longer had their pretty rings and necklaces, and I don't know where they even got all this gold from. It's crazy. But they got it and melted it and made these calves. And they kept doing it. So not only did they do it once and sacrifice their, their things, but they had to do it again and again. So this, I somehow this question did not get typed in the book, but um, this is what I want you to answer. When you think of your little idols, what have you sacrificed or are you sacrificing to keep serving them? If we are serving our idols, we're sacrificing something. The Israelites were sacrificing their gold and giving it up to be able to create them. If you think of the little idols in your life, and you've already wrote some of them down, what have you sacrificed or are you sacrificing to keep serving them? There's got to be something that you're giving up because you're not completely devoted to Jesus. Um, in the core of your soul, you know, if you know Jesus as your Savior, that he is the one who can, the only one who can bring you true joy and true satisfaction. And if you know Jesus as your Savior and you've lived and walked with him, you've experienced him, hopefully a lot, but at some point or another, you can look back in your life and be like, yes, this is when I was truly walking with God and just fully devoted to him. And no matter what the crisis situation was, I still had joy and satisfaction with my Savior and didn't need to sacrifice all this other stuff to build my golden calf or whatever the idol was in my life um, to feel satisfied um, in the Lord. Um, Hosea 10 verse 12, um, we did not go over this at all, but man, I just want to end on it. You can turn there if you want. So with a view to righteousness, reap in according with kindness, break up your fallow ground for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. I love that. This is a call. Hosea was begging them, just quit. Quit sacrificing to these things that don't matter. Break up the follow ground. It's time to seek the Lord. And this, I just prayed for myself this week. Man, turn away from all the stuff that you're so tempted to worship, really, if you want to be honest with yourself, um, and seek God and only God and trust God and only God when times are hard and when times are easier. Doesn't matter. Seek him all the time just like he was calling us or just like um, Hosea was calling to seek the Israelites. So um, on the next page, if you have time, I know it's 717 so you have to go totally get it. I'll turn the music up if you um, want to stay and finish page 32. But this goes along with everything that we've, that we've been talking about helping us to identify the idols that are in our lives. Because sometimes, because they are usually good things, it's hard to even recognize that they are idols in our lives. 
So here it says, think about how you may be supplementing God with little idols by completing the following sentences. And it goes through, when I'm discontent, I do this. And we mentioned some of them. Shopping, friends, whatever it is, kids. Not everything is necessarily bad. It only becomes bad or wrong when it's a substitute for God and then becomes an idol. So I'll turn the music on. If you need to go, that's fine. If you want to fill this out at home, that's fine, or do it now. But it's just another um, kind of heart um, surgery to see where you really are trusting.